like to share just a couple of verses of Scripture with you, if I may. Um, and Isaiah hit it on the, on, the, on the head when he said, bring that up if you don't mind, Van. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her, with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And our psalmist also saw it too. He said, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Let's have a word of prayer if you wouldn't mind. Father, I just want to thank you that you are the mighty God, the master of us all, Lord, who are following you. God, you are the Lord God. You're mighty to save. You're strong, God. You're, you're just magnificent. You're marvelous, Lord, and you have done it all. You have caused you have caused our sin to be covered because your grace is greater than all of our sin put together here in this room and outside of this room, Lord. God, how can we thank you enough? And we just come to worship you and praise you because of that, Lord. Father, I pray as that we sing these, maybe these little older songs this morning, God, that you would just help us to focus on who you really are and what you have done. That You are the God of our salvation. There's nothing that we have done. And, God, we just want to just praise you and honor you for that. So, God, just thank you again for this time. Be with us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's all stand. The good thing about the Lord is he's ours. He belongs to us. He, we belong to him. He belongs to us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. It's a great hymn. Let's sing this together, may we? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Sing it. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This 
is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Our faith has found a resting place. It's not in device, no creed, not a church, not a religion, but in the Lord. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves, this ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My heart is leaning on the word, the living word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me his precious blood he shed, for me his life he gave. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Let's sing together. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. Let's sing that again without the piano. Let's let our voices ring. Grace. 
All right, good morning. Y'all awake today? All right, I need all the little kids to come up front, please. If you're a kid or if you're older and you feel like a kid, come on up here. Come on, I'm not going to bite you. Y'all can sit right here. Or behind me, you might strike me, you know what I mean? Yeah, you did. All right, y'all have a seat. Why? Well, I'll explain that to you after church is over. How about that? Atta boy, right there. All right, how many of you have a birthday? Do you have a birthday? <laughs> Everybody here has a birthday. All God's children have a birthday, right? Everybody has a birthday. I have a birthday. My birthday is October the 9th. My birthday is June 5th. Your birthday is June. So you have a birthday, right? How many of you born in October? That's a great month. October, all right. All right, well, that's wonderful. That's the day of love, right? February 14th, all right. Well, when we have birthdays, when I was growing up, we had a cake, and we had maybe party hats. My cake was made. I knew this was coming. My, my cake was delicious, but I wanted it to be. Uh, who Thomas. Thomas. Thomas the train? Thomas cake. All right. So... At birthday parties, right, there's usually cake and ice cream and hats and stuff like that and things to do. But at birthday parties, there's something else that there's something else we get, and they're called presents or gifts. Now, what I want to use, I want to use the word gift. Did you know that every single day, listen, this is important, that every single day, you have been given a gift. Did you know that? Every day, you've been given a gift. Hey, do you know what the gift is? The gift of life. Every day. Every day that you wake up and you open your eyes and you go through your day, it's because God has given you another day of life. And it's a gift. And that gift's from Him. If you look around here, there's all kinds of people that are in this room, I mean, we have people that are young like you guys, and we have people that are older, and they've had a lot of birthdays. Some of these guys have had more birthdays than they even want to talk about, right? But every single day that you and I live is a gift from God. Did you know that? So every day, even though it's not your birthday, you receive a gift when you wake up, and that gift's from the Lord. And I want to read a scripture to you from... The book of Psalms. All right, now listen to this. And this is what David says about the gift of life. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do you know this? That every single day that you have is a gift from God. That's important to know. But you know, there's another gift, and that gift is the gift of eternal life. Everybody heard of that gift? And the gift of eternal life is available through who? Who gives us the gift of eternal life? The Lord does, right? And so the gift of eternal life is available through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that every single one of you boys and girls, if you don't already know the Lord as your Savior, will one day come to know Him. I have a friend who starts his prayer out this way every time. Lord, Father, I thank you for another day of life. And you know, he does that every time. And for a while, I was like, wow, is he going to keep doing that? And you know, he does that to this day. Every single time I'm with him, he says, Father, I thank you for another day of life. And that means something. So every single day that you get up, you can say, thank you, Lord, for another day of life. All right, let's pray together. All right, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together, okay? Lord, we do want to thank you today for another day of life. We thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us this day, and we pray that we would honor you and glorify you in this day. Lord, I thank you for these boys and these girls, and I pray that if there's one of them that does not know you as their Savior, that today could be the day of salvation. And Lord, I pray that every one of them would know that you are the author of life, you give us life. Every breath that we take is by your grace. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for the opportunity to give you thanks for this day of life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. You can go back to your seats. I think, actually, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. I was told that. So, all right.
And Father, we do thank you for another day of life. We thank you for uh, the wonderful gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And this morning, Lord, we want to honor you in what we say and, and what we do, and I pray that it has been and will be. Lord, we want you to be the center of the service. It's not about us, it's about you. And so I pray that that would be true and that that would be our testimony as we leave this place, that the service was about you. And I pray that our concentration wouldn't be on men, but on you. And your word and what you have to say to us as we um, look together this morning uh, at your word, your love letter to us. In all these things, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. She was born on June 28, 1851 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She graduated as valedictorian of her class at a girls' school. She was deeply devoted to teaching Sunday school and specifically to teaching children and specifically teaching children about the gospel of Jesus Christ. She also became a teacher in public schools, but her teaching career came to a sudden stop when she was forced to bed with a painful spinal problem. One source claims this problem came as a result of a student striking her with a rock. Lying in bed, she easily could have grown bitter. But the testimony is that she studied English literature. Now that sounds like a whole lot of fun, doesn't it? Studied English literature and began to sing and to write. Some of her lines, such as, Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions, bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. Her professor, John Sweeney, challenged her to write more. And she did. She wrote more. But the best known of the songs which she wrote has lasted for generations. And the song is... When we all get to heaven. You guys know that song? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Her name was Eliza Edmonds Hewitt. And she wrote that song along with other hymns. But that's the most treasured, I would say, song that she wrote. It's certainly the most popular. When we all get to heaven. But as I was sitting yesterday uh, at the funeral for George's son, um, that song, for whatever reason, came to mind. And as I sat there, the Lord said, Dad, you're not doing Second Peter. You're doing this. When we sing the song, when we all get to heaven, what's the assumption in the title? That all are going to heaven. And so as I was sitting in that room yesterday as George was speaking about his son, and just so that you know, he did a tremendous job. I mean, the Lord really used him in a powerful way. God's grace was so present in that man's life yesterday. Um, and if you didn't know, George and Glenda uh, lost their youngest son this last week. Um, he went to be with the Lord. We used the word lost. We didn't lose him. He went to be with the Lord. Um, this last week, but as I sat there yesterday, as, as he spoke, 
I was reminded of the grace of God. But I, for whatever reason, and I don't know, I'm going to ask the Lord one day, but, but I, was, I was thinking about this song, When We All Get to Heaven. The song wasn't even sung in the, in the service itself, but, but the Lord put it on my mind, When We All Get to Heaven, and I thought, as I looked around the room, how many of these people could really sing that song? The room was packed. There were more people in yesterday than there are in here today. There were a lot of people sitting in that congregation. And I thought, man, Lord, could they all sing when we all get to heaven? And then you know what? I had this thought. What about you? Can you sing the song when we all get to heaven? Do you know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to go through a passage that is intended for a specific purpose. There's a purpose behind the passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 13 through verse 18. Before we get to the passage, I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you know that you know? So, this last Monday when I was told about, or actually I, it, was, it was early Monday morning, or Tuesday morning, the passing of, um, of Andrew. Um, it was really early when I found out. I got it through an email. It was about 6.30 in the morning. And um, I just couldn't get it out of my mind all day long, all day the next day, all day the next day. I even talked with Teresa about it. I said, how was your day? She's like... My heart's been heavy today. Um, and I was in my office. And I don't remember what morning it was. But I picked up my phone. And we have a thing for our family. It's called Fam Jam. That's what's on, on the phone. And um, so that means, because I'm not like a tech-savvy person, but that means I can text all my kids at one time. Isn't that pretty cool? And even when my grandkids get smartphones, which pff, nowadays they get them what, when they're six or seven years old, they can teach me how to use it. But you can, you can just send mass message, right? Just like that, and everybody gets it. And the message on my heart that day was, man, do you know that you know that you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because at the end of your life, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And furthermore, you don't know when the end of your life is going to be here on earth. It could be today. And I was like, Lord, I know you want me to talk to these little kids. And boy, that was a challenge. But I needed to talk to them about life. But the most important thing that we can do for these young people is share the gospel with them and pray that early in life they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the end, nothing else matters but that they know Christ and they know him as their Savior and they live for him as Lord. And so it was just on my mind and I was like, Lord, I, I need to share this with, with these kids and I need to share with the family today. And that's who you are. You're the family. And even if you're visiting, you're, you're part of the family. I, I just have a heart that you would know for certain that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because 
if you've been churched a long time, sometimes that's a disadvantage. I don't know if that makes sense to you, right? But sometimes that's a disadvantage. You're like, you come and you do the church thing, and, and, and it's not about the church thing. It's about relationship with Christ, right? I mean, sometimes, let's be honest, you might even grow weary of the church thing. But we don't ever grow weary of Christ, or we shouldn't. Well, I couldn't identify with George and Glenda's grief this week. I don't know what it's like to have one of my children go and be with the Lord. I don't know what that's like. But I want to encourage you today to think about what Paul says here. Because I think there's a lot packed in these verses. There's no way I can cover it in the amount of time you give me. If you gave me all day, I think I might be able to do it. But I'm going to go through here, with the help of the Lord, give you some things that I think can help us when we face times like this. Because listen, as I was driving back from Atlanta, the Lord gave me another analogy. I'm driving back from Atlanta. Atlanta ought to be just off the map. Man, that place is terrible. There is no way around that city, right? No good way. You might have to drive 80 miles west or or 80 miles east and then come south. It's, It's awful. But as I'm driving these roads that I'm really not familiar with until I got to I-20, you know, sometimes when you're going down a road, it's straight, and it's straight for a short time, and sometimes it's straight for a longer time, and sometimes it's straight even for a really long time. Those are rare. But as I was thinking, as I was driving, I was like, you know, Lord, sometimes my life's just straight. Things are pretty good. And all of a sudden, there's that bend in the road. And sometimes it's a little short curve, but sometimes it's a pretty big bend. And that represents the trials in life, the things that are unexpected, the things that we don't know. We can't even plan for them. Right? We don't know when the Lord's going to call any of us home. But you know, there was a problem in the Thessalonican church. This church was like, hey, what's going on with those who have died? who were a part of us, who were, who were believers with us. What's going on with these guys? And so Paul gives them the answer. In verses 13 through 18, first of all, he gives, us, gives them the perspective of grief, a perspective of grief. Look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed. That word there means ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep. And that word asleep means dead. Okay? We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Now look at this next phrase. That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now let's be careful in looking at this verse. The Apostle Paul does not say we don't grieve. My friends, listen to me. When, when we have a family member we love or a friend we love that dies, we grieve. That's natural, right? It's part of life. Solomon says there's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time to grieve. There's a time to mourn. That does happen. And for you young people, one of the things you need to know is that it happens more and more and more as you get older because you're met with death when I was a young person, I didn't go to many funerals. When I was, got a little older, I started attending more 
And of course, being in the ministry, I'm at quite a few funerals. But it's a part of everyday life. You know, at Jefferson Memorial, they average three funerals a day. Every single day, people are met with death. Paul says that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So, number one, we're going to grieve. He's not telling them don't grieve. But what is he telling them? That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Have you ever attended the funeral of an unbeliever? Man, I have been to several funerals of unbelievers where someone was doing the funeral and there's just this wailing that's going on. Uncontrollable. I've heard it. I remember the first time I heard it, I was about 19 or 20 years old and it kind of scared me. I was like, what in the world is going on with her? And I remember telling Teresa about the incident. I was like, what is going on? No hope. No hope. The grave was the end. That's what was going on. That was it. But the Apostle Paul says here, we as believers don't need to grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That's the thought. We don't have to grieve like the rest without hope. My friends, listen to me. If the Lord takes me home and you're still around, I am requesting that there not be this loud lamentation in fact, I am requesting that you're like, yeah, that's with the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, I've told you maybe this before, but I love what Dr. Tony Evans says about heaven and perspective that we should have as Christians. He says, we need to treat heaven as a promotion, not a demotion. <laughs> I mean, look, the Apostle Paul to some folks may sound weird for to me, to live as Christ, to die as what? That's insanity. You put that on the front page of a newspaper. To live as Christ, to die again. What are you talking about, dude? But listen, to die is gain if you know Christ. Because you get to be in the presence of your Lord and your Savior. Listen, grief is a part of life, and it's a big part of life. But when those go before us that know the Lord, my friends, listen, there is assurance that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ that all that belong to Him are with Him. And one day, those of us who are here are going to join Him. Well, so He gives a perspective on grief. For the unbeliever, they have no hope. How many conversations have you had with other believers and, and, and you're seeing an unbelieving family go through a situation you say, how in the world did they get through it? They don't. Are you listening to me? They don't. I've been around those families. I've done funerals for unbelievers. They don't get over it. They have no hope. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly glad I have hope in Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, death's a mystery. It is for us, right? It's a mystery. But I'm confident that when the Lord takes me, I'm going to be in His presence. The minute I shut my eyes, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. And so He gives them a perspective of grief, verse 13. Then He gives them a picture of the return of Christ, the hope that we all have in Christ that know Him. Look at verse 14. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that word if there is since, since we believe, and Paul wasn't questioning it like, oh, I don't know if I do and you do. No, he's writing to a group of believers, and he does. So he says, for since we believe, and follow that pronoun through the passage, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Why did Jesus die? Class? For our sins. The Apostle Paul tells us why he died. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For Christ died for our sins according to what? To the Scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. So we believe that Jesus died and he died for our sins. And he was the only one that could pay the price. He, his blood the only blood that would completely satisfy the wrath of God. And Paul writes this, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? That he rose again? Well, Paul shouts it from the mountaintops in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, look, not only did we as apostles see him, but over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. What's he doing? What's Paul doing in this text? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's building an argument. And what's the argument? Well, God raised his son from the dead, right? And he's going to raise those who belong to him, right? And that's what he's leading to. Look at this. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In my family... I have several who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And one day, my friends, there's going to be a blessed reunion with those folks that know the Lord. And the Apostle Paul tells us about that blessed reunion. Look in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now that's a very important phrase here. Who's the authority? Paul? Mm-mm. The authority here is the word of the Lord. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Notice this, that we who are alive. What did Paul believe? He believed he was going to be alive at the coming of the Lord. Right? That's what it says. That we who are alive. He thought, hey, I'm going to be alive when the Lord comes. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, those who have fallen asleep, as we're going to see, are going to be caught up first. Right? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ will be caught up first. And so verse 16 tells us that. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. My friends, listen. Dr. Walvard has a wonderful uh, statement about this, this wording here. Right? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Uh, John Walbert says, Christ's return for his church will be announced from heaven forcefully and dramatically. That's what's going to happen. He's coming back. 
and he's coming for his church. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. He's coming for those who belong to him. Notice the way he words it in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the who will rise first. The dead in Christ. Now listen to me. That little phrase, in Christ, is very, very important. It's a distinctive phrase in the New Testament for the church. It occurs numerous times in the New Testament. And that phrase regards those who are part of the church. All right? The bride of Christ. So it says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Um, I've said jokingly to my wife on a few occasions that when the rapture occurs, you know, the Bible tells us here, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. I've said, Teresa, the Lord might have to call you twice. Now, if you know my wife, it's because she likes to do a little bit of talking. Hey, Teresa, let's go. Let's go, right? The Bible says... The dead in Christ will rise first. And then look what Paul says, verse 17. Then we who are alive. Circle that pronoun. We. He's thinking, hey, I'm going to be alive at the return of Christ. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. I want you to notice a couple of things here. All right? Notice that word together. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Do you know what the body of Christ is about, guys? It's about together. It's about together. This last, listen, this, this last week, there, there's a pain in the heart of George and Glenda, and it's going to be there. It's just going to be there. That's the truth. And it's going to continue to be there. And yet, the comfort is what? The comfort is that one day they're going to be caught up together to meet their son in the air. That's the mindset, right? So the Apostle Paul writes here, hey, we're going to be caught up together. The body of Christ is about together, and we may be sitting here today struggling with, what am I going to say to George and Glenda? How in the world can I get across to them, you know, that I love them? Can I tell you, I think Paul tells us that in the last verse. We'll get to it in a minute, but it might I encourage us that it's not always words that we need to use. Can I encourage us that just being there, right? And, and so you have this picture of together. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. It's not one at a time, it's together. Verse 17. We shall be caught up together with them. Who are the them? The dead in Christ. We shall be caught up together with them. Now, how many of you are thinking this morning that you're going to be here when the rapture takes place? How many of you want to be here, right? <laughs> right? Absolutely. I'm thinking if you don't want to be here, something's wrong with you. But Paul says to these guys, they would be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, notice this next little phrase. So there's this togetherness, right? And then notice it says, with them in the clouds, meaning the dead in Christ, to meet the who? The Lord. To meet the Lord in the air. 
I love the way that Paul closes this verse. He says, We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Can you? Man, it's going to be awesome. For every single person that knows Christ, it'll be awesome. So the question is, do you know Christ? Because this event is going to take place. In fact, Paul wrote with the authority, says, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In Paul's idea, it comes directly from the Lord. Notice he says, to meet the Lord in the air, and I like this part, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. My friends, listen to me. Heaven is about the Lord. I don't know what you think heaven's going to be about, but heaven's going to be about the Lord. In fact, you know how I know this? I want you to go back with me to John chapter 14, real quick. John chapter 14, because there's similar language. John 14. Now, you know the context of the passage, I hope, but I'll give it to you just in case you don't know. They're in the upper room, and Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples. Judas has already departed the scene. That's very important to know as you come to these verses. Judas has already departed the scene. In chapter 13, the Lord tells his disciples that he's about to leave them. And he tells them, look, I'm about to leave you, and where I'm going, you can't come now, but you can come later. Man, think about it. If you're one of those disciples, you're like, hey, time out. I've just spent three to three and a half years with you, and you tell me you're leaving me, and I can't come with you now? What's the problem? Right? I mean, they had committed themselves to the Lord. They're like, time out. In fact, Peter gives us the time out. In verse 36 of chapter 13, Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. By the way, um, that's eternal security for Peter. <laughs> right? You know, people squabble about that issue today in doctrine, you know, eternal security. Are we really secure in Christ? Answer, yes. Yes. And this is right here indicated to Peter. Hey, look, you're not going to follow me now, but you're going to follow later. Well, here's Peter. You know, he's one of those, you remember about Peter, right? If you study his life, foot and mouth. Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. Hey, look, Peter had good intentions, guys. I think sometimes we misread the text. I mean, Peter's heart was the Lord. I mean, he was the one disciple that got out of the boat and started walking on the water. Remember that? People go, well, Peter, he didn't have enough faith to keep walking. He got out of the boat... But the Lord in his omniscience, look at this, verse 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Man, if you're one of those, you're like, hey, that's a good thing, right? 
in the midst of this heartache and anxiety. Look at verse 3. Here it is. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to who? What is that next phrase? To myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Listen to me. Same idea as Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians 4. Heaven is about the Lord. It's about being in his presence. The Lord, let's think about it like this. The Lord is going to receive you, if you know Christ, to him. That's a pretty good deal. Right? He's going to receive all those who belong to Christ. He's going to receive them, us, to himself. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. In John chapter 14. Well, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at this. Same idea. Paul writes it. He says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Do you know for sure that you belong to the Lord? Paul knew. Paul knew he belonged to the Lord. He wrote this with confidence. And he wrote it with confidence that those believers in Thessalonica knew the Lord too. Because he says, we will always be with the Lord. You have to question people who say, what are we going to do in heaven? Be with the Lord. You say, well, isn't that going to be boring? Are you kidding me? Boring? Have you read about the Lord? He's incredible. Have you read about his creation and his majesty and his glory and his omniscience? Boring. I worry about people who say it's going to be boring in heaven. My friends, listen. For the first time, we will experience no distraction. <laughs> because we're met with distraction every single day. Do you know we're allowed to come into the presence of the Lord every day as a believer? We boldly approach the throne of grace according to the author of Hebrews. We can come into his presence anytime, but visually we don't see him. But one day we will. That's what Paul says. We're going to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so you have the perspective of grief, verse 13, the picture of Christ's return, his hope in 14 to 17. And then you come to verse 18, and I've put purpose, purpose. So you go from perspective to picture to purpose. What were the purpose of these words? Notice verse 18. Paul writes this, therefore. So anytime you see that word therefore, you have to look back to the previous text. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. The word comfort. You know what the word comfort means? Any idea? It means to come alongside somebody. We've been in hard situations in life, right? If you've lived any time, you've been in hard situations. And sometimes we really don't know what to do for people who go through difficult times. And that's okay that you don't know. It, can I tell you? It's okay that you don't know. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know this that you don't have to come alongside of them and start talking. You can just come alongside them. Wow, you mean I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. And do you know 
that that can be just as, if not more comforting than coming alongside of them and speaking in ignorance. And I've done that. And I've learned my lesson the hard way a few times. And thought, I've got to say something because I'm a pastor. But you don't have to say anything. You know, sometimes people want you to just walk beside them and hold their hand. Right? I remember when I was doing internships, one of the things that I learned, I mean, I had probably, probably six to eight guys that I look back on now and I, I learned from. And when I was in my 20s, um, I had a couple of guys I learned from, and one of them was really good at hospital visits. And I remember going into an ICU area one time, and I was probably 21 years old, 22. And we walk in, and I'm with him, and I, I mean, I was very timid. I wasn't going to say anything. I was just going to walk in and observe what he did. And for at least two weeks, at least two weeks that I remember, he would walk in that emergency room because the family member was in critical condition. He would go over on the opposite side of where they were sitting, and he would sit down. And I was like, what you doing? The family's over there. And for two weeks straight, he did that. That's all he did. And we were there, he'd say, Thad, let's pray for the family. I'd be like, what about praying with the family? He's like, let's pray for the family. The family member ended up dying. And I'll never forget when we showed up to the hospital, the family came over across the room and they said to him, we really appreciate you being here every day. I didn't even know as a young guy they even saw us. I was like, what are you doing? He was doing what God wanted him to do. That's what he was doing. He was showing forth a lot of wisdom. And do you know who that family went to more than anybody after that? That dude. They knew that he cared. You say, yeah, but... It, 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 People have to hear that I care. No, they don't. You can show them that you care. And that's the idea of the word comfort. It means to come alongside. And now in this context, the Apostle Paul says, come alongside with these words. And sometimes words are necessary. But they don't have to be our words. Do you understand that? They don't have to be our words. Notice what he says in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What are these words? What's he referring to? The words that he just spoke. These words. We don't always have to say something from our own thoughts. What Paul is saying here is, hey look, let me tell you how to comfort one another. You comfort one another using these words which are from God. And so I would encourage you, and as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are met with a situation where you have someone that you're trying to minister to, and they're going through pain and through heartache, that you pause and that you consider what your next steps are. And you pause and you consider what your next words are. And you pause and you consider the most important thing that we can do for people in times of crisis is love them 
and come alongside of them. And if we have to speak to them, let's use God's word. Let's use God's word. Yet let's use these words that are given to the Apostle Paul here in First Thessalonica, or given to the church at Thessalonica from the Apostle Paul. I want to close this morning um, with two thoughts. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 John. 1 John. I want to just leave you with these two thoughts this morning. And this is somewhat similar to what Paul and what Jesus said. And I think in times like these can be very comforting for people who are going through the loss of believing family members. John writes it kind of in a different way. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. Guys, if you belong to the Lord, you're a child of God. He's, he, that's what he considers you to be. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now here it is. Beloved, now we are children of God. That's who we are. That's our identity. And it has not yet appeared, excuse me, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. Now here's the way John puts it. We know that when he appears. When's he going to appear? He's going to appear for his church. 1 Thessalonians 4. When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. Who understands that? Right? We're going to see the Lord. The Bible tells us. John writes it like this. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him just as he is. And then you know what John does with that? He doesn't just give you that hope as a believer. But look what he says that we're to do. Look at verse 4. And everyone who has this hope. Now guys, I hope that's true for you. Do you have the hope of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? But I wanted to leave you with this. Because it's wonderful to have the hope. But what do we do with the hope that we have? Notice what John calls for action. He says, everyone who has this hope on him does what? Sits down, crosses his arms and says, I'm waiting on you, Lord. Is that what he says? No, look what he says. He says, everyone who has this hope on him, on Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. You know what John's calling for in the life of the believer? Action. It's not just sitting around waiting on the return of Christ. But the Lord, my friends, listen to me, the Lord has demands in our lives. And he expects us to live according to his commands and demands. And that's what John is writing here. Um, I want to close with a story. When I was uh, a little, I guess, one or two years out of college, that would have been like 1990. I had a good friend that lost his father. And um, he knew I was training for the ministry. And he called me and he said, Hey, Thad, I've just lost my father. Um, 
would you be willing to come down here and talk with the family? So I would have been about 26 years old, 25 years old. And I should, sure, I'll be happy to come down and talk to the family. And this was one of those learning times for me. I just graduated from Southeastern Bible College about a year and a half before. I thought I had to say something. And I remember walking in that room, and there's a bunch of family members, and they're all sitting around, and some are laughing, and some are crying, and there's all kinds of emotion in the room. And I walked through the door, and he said, Hey, I want to introduce you guys to, to my friend, because all of them didn't know me. He said, Hey, he's just trained for the ministry, and he's willing to come over here, and he wants to talk with us. And I sat down. I had no idea what to say. I was scared to death. And you know what I did? I looked at the family. I panned around the room and I looked at the family. I said, I said that I remember I said two things. I don't think what I said was wrong, but I don't know that it was timely. The first thing I said was, I hope that you all know the Lord is your Savior. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I was 25 years old. I had no idea. I was like, I hope you all know the Lord is your Savior. And one guy, I remember one specific guy looking at me going like that. I thought, well, that didn't register with him. And then I said the second thing, which was this. If I can do anything for you, I'll be happy to do it. Do you know sometimes that second statement can get you in trouble? Did you know that? So you have to be careful. Because when I said, I'll be happy to do anything for you, then the family took me back, the inner family took me back and said, hey, Thad, we want you to be a part of this service. You said you'd do anything for us. I didn't know the person. I didn't know the father. But I had an opportunity, and I remember I made it through. I don't, it was only the Lord. But I remember the lesson that I took away from that was, you know what, Lord? I don't know the situations that are before me, but what I can't do is what I did this time. I went in unprepared. I didn't go in going, Lord, I really need you, right? I really need you to give me every single word here. I went in thinking, well, I already know what I need to say. I had no idea what I was doing. And guys, sometimes when it comes to grief, we don't know how to handle it. We know the unbelieving world doesn't know how to handle it. But as believers, we can learn from this book how to handle the most grievous situations. And the Apostle Paul tells that church how to do it. And I'm hoping that we can learn from it. That we have the perspective of grief. That for the believer, we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. That for the believer, we have the picture of the return of Christ. And for the believer, the words of comfort if there are words of comfort we can give anybody, it's the Word of God itself. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for um, who you are. Lord, um, we, we love George and Glenda very much. But we don't love them as much as you do. Your love is unconditional. There's not a moment that goes by that you don't love them.
And so much of love in this culture is based on how we feel. And so there's times we may not feel good about someone, and so it's hard to love them. But Lord, your love is unconditional love. And so we know, Lord, that you love them unconditionally. And I pray that they would know that love. Every single minute and hour that goes by, they would know the love of the, their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray for us as a congregation. George is very special, and Glenda is very special to us and their family. And we want to come alongside of them. And I thank you for the ones that already have. I know there's many more that want to do that. And God, I pray that you would help us to come alongside of them, to walk hand in hand with them through this. And Lord, that you would give us the wisdom. And if words are necessary, that you would give us the words. But the central focus of the words would be your word. And Lord, we know that, that George and Glenda know you. They have a wonderful relationship with you. We see that demonstrated. But we grieve with them. We do. We grieve with them. Your word tells us, Lord, that, that we're to grieve when others grieve. And so we do. But we can stand here today and thank you for the salvation of their son, Andrew. And thank you to know that even now, as your word tells us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we thank you for the salvation of Andrew. And I pray, Lord, that you would put your salve as like no other salve, that you would comfort them because your word tells us that you're the God of all comfort. There is no one that comforts like you do. And I pray for the comfort that you provide in the quiet moments that they have in the in the days and the months ahead, that, Lord, you would be their comfort and that we would come alongside of them and continue to love them. We thank you for the ministry of George and Glenda. And Lord, I want to thank you for the ministry of George specifically in my life for years and years and years. I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for your grace that was so evident yesterday as he stood up and gave the gospel to a room full of people. As that room full of people were listening to the gospel, I was thinking, Lord, there must be several in this room that don't know you. And so I, I pray for those that were there yesterday. I know they heard the gospel. I pray that, that your spirit would work in their hearts and lives. Convict them of their sin and their need for the Savior. And Lord, for us that are here today in this room, I pray that everyone in this room knows you. I don't know if that's true. But I pray that they do, and if they don't know you, Lord, that they would take seriously what you have said. Paul said it here. It's by the word of the Lord. You are coming back. You're coming back for your church. And what's left after that is described for us in the book of Revelation. And it's going to be a horrific time. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be able with all confidence, to sing when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have in knowing you as our Savior. And all this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
And right before the service, Thad asked me if we could sing that together, since he's referred to that. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And this song's not just about when we get to heaven. It's about what we do until we get there, okay? So let's all stand. Let's sing it. When we all get to heaven. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, We'll sing and shout the victory While we walk the pilgrim pathway Clouds will overspread the sky But when traveling days are over Not a shadow, not a sign When we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be We'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glance of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Shout the victory. I thought there was another verse there, but it didn't. Ron, I thought you were going to keep singing. Um, I'd like to read this scripture to close uh, this morning. From Revelation uh, chapter 5, this is obviously a future scene. We'll be, we'll be actually there. Um, verse 8 of chapter 5 says, And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and, a golden, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You know, we, we learned a new song today. Here's a song. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. You know, guys, I have to comment on this. We live in a divisive country. Um, and really, a divisive world. But did you know that there are going to be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation? So you best get to know them. <laughs> and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. By the way, that just means a whole lot of them. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. By the way, he's the only one worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches 
and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying. That pretty much covers it. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You know, at the center of heaven is the Lord. He's the one that we're going to. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you for passages like this that give us hope. Give us hope of what's to come. How in the world could we ever say, what are we going to do in heaven? It's given to us right there. We're going to worship you. And we're going to worship you for eternity and there'll be no distractions. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more grief. All those things will be gone. We're going to be in your presence forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in that. And I pray if there's one here today that does not have the hope of heaven, the hope of being with the Lord Jesus, that today, Lord, could be that day of salvation for them. And I want to close thanking you for these little kids today. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget them. That we would, um, as often as possible, share the gospel with these children. That they would come to know the Lord Jesus and that they would live for him. So Lord, we just uh, close our time by thanking you for who you are and all the many blessings that we have in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. And all these things we pray in his name. Amen. You are dismissed.